Welcome to the New Age Sage podcast. Today's episode is with Summer Nicole. She is a somatic therapist, as well as the inventor of the somatic reparenting method. If you want to heal yourself and your nervous system, as well as learn how to heal your abandonment issues and your inner child wounding, this is the episode for you. It will change the way you heal yourself and the way you view yourself and healing, I promise. Please leave a review if you liked it. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy. Summer, so I've read that you, you know, you're a somatic therapist. The biggest movement, moving on the needle in my my healing journey has been shifting from a Western talk-based therapy to more somatic. So I want you to explain to, to listeners and people watching what exactly is somatic therapy and what's the advantage of it over other forms of, of Western Westernized therapy like like talk therapy. Yeah. So talk, um, talk therapy is considered a, a top-down approach. So if you think like we're going to adjust the, the brain to influence the body, somatic therapy, it's flipped. So it's, it's addressing the body to influence the brain. And so... <clears throat> Somatic therapy is very much a bottom up approach is, is how, how they say it. And, you know, it includes like psychotherapy as far as like you still have to check in with someone. You can still do some cognitive reframing if that's needed. But with with somatic therapy, we use different physical techniques um, to influence the mind and body and to re- release the sympathetic energy that's built up in the body. It's, it's very much about developing felt sense, uh, meaning our ability to be with sensation in the body and increasing our, our somatic awareness, meaning our body awareness, which is just really, it's, it's just a hundred percent necessary to do that in order to identify the moments, you know, the nervous system goes into dysregulation so that we can effectively bring ourselves back to a regulated state. What do you notice in most people when they first come to you? Like, what are we deeply unaware of that we should know as, you know, average humans? <laughs> yeah, most people that come to me, um, uh, what I'm seeing a lot, I talk about, I've been talking about this a lot recently, is a lot of people are in like this functional freeze response. And so a lot of people are kind of going through the motions of their life, um, bulldozing over what their body needs, bulldozing over what the pace of their nervous system really is, kind of just keep crossing off the to-do list. And and most people come to me in a lot of anxiety and, and overwhelm um, because they don't know how to listen to the body. Um, they're, they're very much stuck in the head. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of people with unresolved trauma, the hypervigilance is very real, right? Where the our energy, our attention is really focused outside of ourselves. So it's like all the energy is up in the head and then projected out. Yeah. So what we do here is like teach people how do we bring our energy back into the body, you know, so that we can effectively regulate the system and then actually tune into what does the body need and then stop bulldozing over what the, the pace of the nervous system is. Because most people who are anxious, they... They're so familiar with that state of anxiety. For some people, it's been since yeah. childhood, you know? So it's just so familiar to them. They don't even understand that it's, like, unhealthy. Um, but once we can, like, really understand, like, that's just that's just a pattern that's happened since childhood, whether it's anxiety or overwhelm or freeze, um, we can really start to unwind it. What's the method you use when someone comes to you with uh, a past trauma they want to clear? What's your method in helping them release? Or what's, what are ways people can use somatic intelligence to start clearing some of their um, stored trauma? Yeah, my specific method is called somatic reparenting. Um, I've been in the healing and therapy world for over 20 years, and it's a 
a distillation and an integration of somatic therapy, of uh, inner child work and reparenting work and of nervous system regulation. And, you know, if someone's coming to me wanting to resolve, you know, what's unresolved. First, we have to get them to feel like, what is it that they're feeling? Like if when, if they just keep being triggered by something, you know, the, you have this pattern that just keeps happening, right? This emotion or this trigger that keeps showing up for you. Um, it's actually... <clears throat> creating enough safety in the body to take people into, okay, what are the emotions that you're actually feeling? Where do those live in your body? And what I do is help help guide people into just a very strategic conversation um, and connection with their inner child. And by that, I mean, you know, any parts of the younger self that might be, I like to say, like emotionally frozen in time. And it's not ever about reliving trauma. You know, we, we always want to avoid re-traumatization, but <clears throat> it is very much about accessing these younger parts that could be emotionally frozen and they need, you know, your attention. They need your care. They need your reassurance, your validation, your love, like whatever you didn't get as a child, you become that, right? Like you become the divine father, you become the divine mother, you become the secure parent for the inner child inside of you and really start to understand like, what is it that they're feeling? What is it that they need? Start meeting that need yourself, right? So that then mm -hmm. we stop trying to get it met outside of ourselves by other people. How do we re-traumatize ourselves? I think it's a key point you made there. Like, what are ways people are kind of re-traumatizing themselves and how do we avoid that in our healing journeys? Yeah, uh, re-traumatization is like, it's like too much too fast. Um, one of my favorite words uh, when we're talking about the nervous system is titration, which just means, you know, you give the nervous system could be a challenging, difficult experience, but you give it a little bit at a time. And then you give space and time for the nervous system to integrate that experience. And so I'll just give an example. <clears throat> you know, if you're, if I'm teaching someone how to access their anger, right? I'm not going to have them go into like, okay, access like all the lifetimes of anger in your lineage. And let's like really run it through the body. It's like, it's just going to be too much and overwhelming, you know, mm -hmm. for the system. And so it's like little bite-sized chunks. And so, um, you know, often people describe the word trauma as like too much, too fast, you know? And so same thing with re-traumatization. It's like, you don't want to give the system, um, you don't want to overload the system. You really have to go always, always, you have to go with the pace of someone's nervous system, which is just really different depending on the person. On that note, what's your take on somatic release? I think that's kind of a overload on a on a trauma. Like, do you think it's effective? We do it differently. What's your take on on like somatic breathwork, where you go like a long hour, two hour journey, like really going into the into the pain? You're talking about a somatic breathwork journey, like holotrophic breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you a fan or not so much? Yeah, it can be good for some people. You know, I wouldn't say like across the board, it's going to be appropriate for everyone. Um, you know, with, with that kind of breath work where we're, we're really activating, um, it's a really strong inhale, right? It's like a full inhale and the inhale, um, it's related to our sympathetic nervous system. So when we breathe like that over a prolonged period of time, what it's going to do is activate your sympathetic nervous system. And, when we've had a lot of trauma or we've been in chronic dysregulation for years or decades, um, what's really true is that some people just don't have the capacity in their nervous system to hold that kind of sympathetic charge. And so for those of you listening, like if you've been in a breathwork journey and you like, you start breathing and you're there and then all of a sudden you're just not there. <laughs> like you just go somewhere. Has that ever happened to you, Lucas, where you're like, you just yeah, sort yeah, of go. Sure. No, I've, I've, I, fully tri I fully tripped out. I've tripped out harder on on holotropic breathwork than I have on psychedelics. 
Right. Yeah. And so sometimes like people can dissociate whenever the sympathetic charge is too much for their system to hold. You'll just feel like you kind of go somewhere else and then you sort of, you're not really asleep, but you're in some sort of state and then you wake up and you're like, where did I really go? It it can be um, a pattern of dissociation, uh, which can be really strong in people with trauma. And especially if your nervous system is very, the default of your nervous system is more of a, a freeze response. Yeah, because people often ask me, you know, how I dealt with with grief. What I did was I did immediately after someone close to me passed away, I did um, a holotropic breathwork, super intense. But I'm pretty sure I fucked myself up pretty bad. <laughs> I went in, you know, way too hard, way too deep. It cleared a lot, but it was it wasn't. I think and most people who would do that would get severely, you know, traumatized. And what I'm saying that is that there's this expectation in the healing community to heal as fast as possible, right? You look at the popular need to go to ayahuasca or certain psychedelics or bypassing our human, you know, uh, time that we need to take to, to heal ourselves. So how do you see that happening? What's your take on that, on this human, this current like spiritual trend of, of advancing or accelerating the timeline to heal? And what's the damage of that? That's a really good question. Um, I was living in SoCal for a while before I lived here on Kauai and seeing that a lot, lots of people doing a lot of ayahuasca. And, um, you know, I think if, if, if you're called to a certain medicine like that, you know, um, listen very deeply and intently. If the medicine calls to you, you'll know it. Um, but there's a lot of people, like you're saying, they just, they just want to be on the other side of it, like as quickly as possible. Right. And yeah, it's like, if we haven't done, you know, what's true with, with any psychedelic or, or medicine journey where it really opens up like third eye and crown chakra, it really opens up your your upper centers. Um, what's true is that if you haven't done the foundational trauma work, specifically in the lower three chakras, which, you know, creating safety in the body specifically, if you haven't done that, um, it can blow the system out. You know, this is like when people get like Kundalini psychosis, you know, they call it, or they just like become really overstimulated and it takes them six or nine months to integrate back into their body, you know, because they were so blown open um, in the upper chakras. And so it's it's just really important to, you know, have a support system. Um, You know, you want to have been doing this like lower chakra work, which is all of your work around being able to feel safe in your body, to feel supported um, in your body with yourself, with other people, um, and really feeling a sense of stability in that way. And that that's stability can really help ground any type of upper chakra expansion that could happen in a medicine journey. Let's unpack that. Um, what is lower lower chakra work? How can people recognize if they need to do it uh, first before moving on to something more intense? And why is it so important? Yeah, um, I'll just I'll give one example. So lower chakra, we'll just start with the lowest chakra, which is the root chakra. Um, and this is part of the work I do with somatic reparenting. I take people through the different chakra and childhood stages of development. And so root chakra is developed when we're like zero to 18 months old. It is like uh, it is the time in our our infanthood, you know, that we either develop safety and trust or not, like depending on what happened with our caregivers. And so if we don't have this, if we haven't done any work around feeling safe in the body, right, feeling a sense of trust um, in ourself or in the body, then, and we do all of this like upper chakra work that where we're, we're shown visions and, and it's, it's a massive expansion. There's just mm-hmm. not enough stability in the, in the physical body to hold that level of energetic expansion. Yeah, that's brilliantly put because I, I hadn't, you know, diagnosed it correctly with those labels because it is true. I think it's a common thing I see in in friends or people I know who, who go straight to 
ayahuasca or an intense psychedelic experience off the bat without doing much work. They come back and I can, when they're, after I can feel in their body, they're still like, they haven't um, grounded the experience. They're still super up there. Uh, they haven't like been able to, and then they can't integrate, right? They can't actually get, get anything from it and they have to keep going back to get the, get the result. So how is it different? Let's say someone goes into that experience or more, you know, a sendery experience after done, doing that, that root work. What's the difference? Hmm. Yeah. The, the difference is like having enough, like, um, you could say, uh, stability in the lower body enough, like literal, like physiological safety in the body for your system to hold it. And so you, your ability to stay grounded, your ability to stay centered, your ability to, despite whatever, you know, consciousness is expanding, your ability to self-locate, um, will be intact. <laughs> and, and if it's not there, if you, if we don't have any sort of like stability in these lower chakras, then, it's like we get so blown open and the, 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 mm -hmm. e the ego can completely shatter and dissolve. Right. And then, and then people are kind of lost in the ethers and they have a hard time self-locating and then yeah. everything becomes overstimulated. It's, it's overwhelming for the nervous system. You know, everything becomes overstimulating lights and people and um, you know, street signs and like all the stuff. And it can yeah. take people quite a long time, as you're saying um, to, to come back into the body to feel because they, they, they don't know how to self-locate. They haven't done that work yet. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a, it's well put. So let's talk, let's go on talking about well, trauma now. So, you know, what I love about somatic uh, therapy and somatic experiencing is that it, it's the, the study or the science of how um, stored trauma in the body creates our personality, creates our thought processes, creates almost all our issues in our mind. Uh, most people don't understand that. So let's try, let's try explaining it to, as if people have never heard this concept before and educate them. So how does trauma from, a, let's say from a, let's say I was abused at five. It's a, it's a harsh example. Um, how does that experience get stored in my body? And why does that experience in my body then lead to my, my mentality or my consciousness shifting? Yeah. So, okay. So let's take the, that, that example of a five-year-old, right? Like has an overwhelming experience where the nervous system gets, um, it's too much too fast for the nervous system, right? And if trauma actually takes place, trauma, what trauma really means is that the nervous system didn't get to play out its natural survival-based response, right? So the little five-year-old didn't know how to fight back, right? Or um, the little five-year-old couldn't run away. It couldn't complete like the nervous system's natural response. And so the mm -hmm. sympathetic energy gets stored in the body. And when it's not discharged, right, from the body, then it gets stuck in the body, and whenever it gets stuck in the body, it can create all kinds of physiological cascade of events. Um, one is really to, it causes the, the diaphragm to tighten and the, the breath pattern becomes very shallow in the body. And so as, you know, that's just one example. And then say a lot of what happens really with a lot of people is this, they have lots of little, little T traumas over time. It doesn't have to be a big T, like abuse trauma, right? It's like a lot of little, I work with a lot of people with what's called diffuse complex trauma, right? Where it's like a lot of little things that happened over their childhood, say it's like neglect or emotional or verbal abuse over time. And so what happens is, is you know, little kids, we're like sponges, you know, we're absolutely like sponges. And, and what we do is absorb everything, you know, especially seven years or under, we just absorb all of it. And when that sympathetic energy gets locked in the body, it really can like it shows your nervous system. It, it kind of um, 
sets up this default of your nervous system to be in dysregulation. And so as an adult, like you, you play out the rest of your childhood and your teenagers and your twenties and thirties, you're, you're already running. Like since that young age, you, your system is so used to running, whether it's a certain level of anxiety or fear or anger or whatever it is, right. It's running this, this, certain level of dysregulation, it's become familiar to you, you know, so you don't even realize that it's like unhealthy, some people. And, and then what's true is that we're going to play out all of our, all of our childhood trauma and our adult relationships, because, you know, at a soul level, we came here to heal all of this stuff. And so we play it out, you know, in our, in our adult relationships and what's happening in our nervous system sets up what's happening in our thoughts and behaviors. So the biggest thing, biggest takeaway to, if anyone don't remember anything else I say, remember that your state precedes your story. So your physiological state, meaning the state of your nervous system and your body precedes the story. So it precedes the, um, the thoughts and behaviors, right? If we're in a survival state, in a dysregulated state, we're going to see worst case scenario, we're going to see negativity, right? But if we can get ourselves back to uh, what's called a ventral vagal state or calm present, you know, state, when we're in that state, we can actually access a sense of curiosity, uh, a sense of compassion for ourselves, and um, see a lot clearer. How do we get back to that state? If let's say you get uh, a trigger or, you know, you're thrown out, thrown out of whack, your nervous system's dysregulated, what are some ways people can um, quickly or not quickly, what's the best way to come back to uh, a parasympathetic state? Yeah, this is like the crux of my work. What I teach people to do, it's every time, whether your default is fight or flight or whether your default is a freeze response, um, what has to happen is that you have to discharge. We have to discharge that sympathetic energy that's in the body. How do we do that? We do that through our movement, through our breath, through our sounds, right? And so you can absolutely choose your medicine, you know, as far as what works for you. If like, if you love dancing, like you can put on some anger music and work out your anger through a dance. You know, if you love breath work, you can do it through breath work. You know, uh, maybe your thing is like swimming, you know, and screaming under the water. <laughs> like that helped me through a divorce once a lot. Um, you know, however you can, I always speak to people about making yourself congruent, meaning whatever you're feeling on the inside, allow yourself to play it out through your body, through your movement, through your breath, through your sounds, you know, whether it's anger, whether it's grief, whether it's fear, like allow your body to play out its somatic urges, like the urges that it actually wants to do, because that can help complete that cycle. Yeah. I think an important piece in that too, maybe it's part of your teaching and let me know if it is, is that I think, especially men too, I think all of us, I, I see it lots. So men as well as that. Uh, we judge our our emotions a lot. So, you know, if I suddenly feel very angry or triggered, I'll, you know, my not so better part of my brain will say, you're past this, you shouldn't feel this, you know, you're, you're too advanced for this. Or if I feel jealousy or, you know, certain emotions are human, I'll get mad at myself saying you're too advanced in the work to be feeling this way. And then I end up shaming it and then it becomes even bigger. So it's like, how do we not judge our emotions and what's the effect of, of, of shaming ourselves and, and not allowing ourselves to experience those emotions? I'm so glad you asked this because it's like what I'm about to say is I, uh, whenever anyone asks me on an interview, what's like one thing you want people to know? This is what I always say, which is like, it's so unproductive to uh, make ourselves wrong for feeling the way we feel. So if you have that inner critic of like, I should have healed this by now, this shouldn't trigger me anymore. You know, everything you were just saying, if you have yeah. that, knowing for one, it's completely unproductive, right? It's just, mm -hmm. there's, there's nothing productive about it whatsoever. And um, whenever you're in that like 
negative inner critic, um, often you're dysregulated. Um, that's one thing. But the other thing is that we can't control what our nervous system responds to as threat. And so our rational mind, our conscious mind doesn't have anything to do with us going into a dysregulated state or us being triggered by something. So when we can really understand, this is why I love teaching people about the nervous system, you know, and how to strengthen the nervous system, because it's like, if you can really understand how the nervous system works, you can understand it's actually working for us, not against us. And it might respond to something as small as like, you know, uh, someone's facial expression or uh, an intonation, certain intonation of voice that reminds your system of something that happened in the past that was a threat. And so in that, that trigger that your system goes into, it happens autonomically, you know, without rational control. Um, And so when you can understand that, like, that just happens autonomically, you know, automatically, you could say. And so we don't have any power there. So to orient yourself to your power always is to, okay, understand that piece. I can't control what triggers me, but I can control how I respond to the trigger. And how do we do that? We develop enough felt sense and enough somatic awareness, you know, enough body awareness to identify the moment we go into dysregulation because our power lies in that and being able to effectively get ourselves back to a regulated state. Yeah. How much of the method you use also teaches this is what I think is the key, but isn't talked about enough how much of getting good with your triggers is being able to tolerate them right the thing is there's this need to uh delete them right like you experience the jealousy or the anger and it's this immediate need just to release it and go yell which is useful sometimes but most of the time if you live in in, you know we're in a capitalist world you're going to be at work you're going to be in in inappropriate places to release it i think one of the things i've noticed is able being able to just sit with it to tolerate the trigger without a need to escape why is that important or is it even important? Is it damaging to actually just sit there and be like, you know what, I'm just going to allow this to be and not like need to, you know, put a fire extinguisher on it? Mm. Yeah, it speaks to one's ability to be with sensation and one's one's ability to be with sympathetic charge whenever it comes up in the body, right? Um, <clears throat> which everyone has a different tolerance for that depending on, you know, your past imprints, depending on my past trauma, we're going to have a different tolerance to being able to hold sympathetic charge in the body. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, I would say if you're in connection with somebody, you're right. It's, it's almost never convenient when we're triggered, right? (laughs) It's like almost never. And so that's, that seems to be the case for most people. They're like, I don't know what do I do with myself because it's like not convenient at all, typically whenever I'm triggered. And so one is that like making sure you don't like just discharge all of that sympathetic energy on the person in front of you, right? Especially if you're like angry because it's a very intense energy and might provide like a temporary relief of discharging that energy, but it's not really ultimately going to support you, you know? So getting really good at in the moment in real time, staying with the self, staying with the body, understanding what's happening in the body, being able to identify it, and oftentimes being able to speak it. And that's that's where a lot of people get stuck because the rational mind goes offline. They're like, I don't even, I just, I, some, I just have to walk away because I feel like I'll just explode on this person or whatever it is. And so a lot of times in that moment, if we can just identify what's happening in the body, like if you and I are in a conversation and I got triggered or something, you know, I could say like, listen, like, I'm just feeling, my body's feeling a bit overwhelmed right now. I'm just going to go take care of myself. And, and I want to come back to this conversation when I just feel a bit more regulated. Right. So like letting the person know that 
this is important to me. I'm going to come back to you. This isn't the time for me to talk about it, you know, with you. And then, you know, going back and, and handling it however you want to handle it. But if you're in a, let's say a work environment, um, or I've even been in like a, a, a restaurant before where I've gotten like triggered uh, around my family and had to like go in the bathroom and like do some shaking. Yeah, you know? I, I know that, that experience for sure. Yeah. You've done that before. No, no, I, I've been at too much, too many family experiences where I get triggered and I can't do anything about it. So I feel you. <laughs> Using you, excusing yourself, right? Like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom for a second and then just like low level hum, just shaking it out a little bit, you know, just discharging some of that energy to lessen the charge in the body. But let's say you're in a work environment like you are, are saying and um, you, you don't have anywhere to go. You can literally like be with yourself and just start doing something rhythmic. This can be as simple as like, it can be as simple as tapping one foot, you know, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. You can do this on your, on your legs with your hands, something rhythmic because it calms the limbic brain and it's also moving, you know, you're just moving your body, but anything rhythmic is going to calm the limbic brain, which is the emotional brain. And then whatever you can do with your breath in that moment. And it might be like a low level grunt. It might be like a a sigh. It might be a low level hum, uh, which can activate the vagus nerve. And like, you can do it so low that like no one can hear you. (laughs) So I've had to play with this stuff before. It's a good question because a lot of people don't have the space or they feel like in the moments that they don't have the space. So use what, use your voice, anything you can do, even if it's a low level of a hum or a sigh or a grunt or a groan, um, any type of shaking, any type of rhythmic movement, um, things like that I've done where, where you can, um, no one really knows that you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. What, what's your explanation as to why so many people don't know how to feel? Cause I think it's hard for me to have compassion for, cause I think not compassion to understand because I, I'm a highly sensitive person. I always have been, I've always been almost too much in my emotions, too able to feel. So why do you think people develop the response over time to shut down their ability to feel? How does that happen? And why is it common? Yeah, it's it's so common, right? Because, you know, as kids, um, any type of of trauma, you know, as a kid, we become hypervigilant to those around us, right? We become hyper attuned to the temperament of others, oftentimes to keep ourselves safe, um, to avoid some type of emotional disruption from the caregivers to not be, you know, we want to not be another point of stress for the family because the family's in conflict or something. So we develop this, this pattern, right, of becoming hypervigilant and hypervigilant, you know, and to a certain degree, that's, that's normal for the nervous system, but it can be extreme when we've had a lot of trauma, which is just a constant, um, you know, scanning people in the environment outside of ourself to determine if we're safe or not. And, and just on an energetic, from an energetic standpoint, what are we doing when we're scanning, right? Which is like our energy's up and out of ourselves. So it's up and out of the body. When the energy is out of the body, right? When our attention is, excuse me, when the attention is out of the body, our energy is up and out of the body and we're not going to be able to feel as much. Um, so that's one. And then the other is that if, if you shut down a lot as a child, if you had a lot of uh, freeze in your, in your system, like a lot of collapse, a lot of overwhelm, a lot of shutdown, um, then it, it can be incredibly hard, right? Like to, to overcome. Um, it can be incredibly hard to get yourself to like speak or move. Um, freeze responses would be like those of you that experience a lot of like shame or sadness or depression or like avoidance. Um, so if you've had a lot of, a lot of freeze in your system, then <clears throat> I would say that for most people, 
capacity needs to build and the nervous system. And we like, we do that a little bit at a time. Um, but it's, I would say it's, it's a bit like overcoming inertia for most people to, to get ourselves like out of a freeze response. It's a bit like moving through tar, you know, like to overcome, um, to overcome the freeze response. And so, you know, whenever we're just hypervigilant on other people, whenever we've had a, a freeze response for a very long time, that the pattern as a child may have been for us to dissociate, which happens again, autonomically and dissociation. Think of it as like, um, you know, it's a coping mechanism as a kid to keep us safe. It's it's necessary, you know, in, in some instances, but we carry that through as an adult, that pattern. Dissociation is like the opposite of having presence in your body, right? And so mm-hmm. if we're walking around with all of our attention and energy outside of ourselves, or if we're walking around in, you know, um, chronic freeze responses and we're dissociated quite a bit, then we don't have our awareness and our and our energy isn't in the body. And so we have to have our awareness in the body to pick up those subtle cues of like when we go into dysregulation to be able to regulate. Why do you think the Western world or, you know, talk therapy hasn't figured out some of these things, right? Because I often, whenever I have people ask me, you know, I'm going to therapy, it isn't working, what do I do? I'll always say, you know, what kind of therapy are you doing? I ask, what's your experience? I go to a therapist, I, I talk about my issues for an hour for the past two years. Um, and I said, do you have any idea of, of you know, where that's coming from? You, you know, yeah, it happened when I was a kid, but like, do you know the feeling? Do you know how you got into the history of your, of your body, all that kind of stuff? So I was like, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I don't know what to do. And, and most therapists, you know, have no idea about the kind of stuff. So what, why do you think that is? Why do you think that this, what most people go to help for in the Western world doesn't teach them about any of this stuff? Why do you think that's the case? Yeah, it's something I've thought about a lot. <laughs> my I originally started with um, my doctorate is in physical therapy. So it's very much from that Western science world, Western education. <clears throat> and I always ask this question myself as I got into the orthopedic clinic of like, why is everyone missing this massive psychosomatic component and this nervous system component that's so clear, so clearly a part of this person's pain, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was somewhere along the way told that, uh, medical schools uh, were funded by big pharma, you know, mm-hmm. medical curriculum was created by big pharma. <laughs> and that just explained everything to me. I was like, Oh, Oh, <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Like that just explains everything yeah. because like anyone that has, I mean, common sense, right. It's just like, you go to a Western medicine doctor for at least for chronic things. They're amazing. Western medicine's amazing for acute acute things, you know, but for chronic things, like things that, that manifest in the body after years of trauma and dysregulation, not so good. Right. And, and it's like, it's just a bandaid, you know, they're, they're given a bandaid. It's the same thing, you know, with psychotherapy. It's like, it's, they're looking at trying to give someone a diagnosis, no different than like a, a doctor trying to give someone a physical diagnosis, you know, and this whole, this whole world of unresolved trauma and nervous system dysregulation has, has been missed um, for some reason. And <clears throat> I can only imagine it has something to do with giving people pills, you know, and making money off of it. <laughs> it's like, it's unfortunate yeah. and sad. Um, but that was always my, it explained a lot to me whenever I learned that I was like, Oh, cause I was just like, why would it be set up this way? This doesn't make any sense. Like whatsoever, you know? I know. I, I completely agree. Like when, when you go to a, a, a doctors in their education are only taught to match a symptom with a pill. That's it. Right. If it's like, um, aches, pains, mental, physical, it's like, it's a symptom pill. So there's always taught to, to medicate and create a bandit rather than heal. And why I speak about this a lot and it frustrates me is that like, 
I, I first I got into this work from being a, a terrible product of the Western world. You know, I was put on a ton of of psych- psychiatric medications that literally almost killed me. Um, and then the minute I started, I, I deleted them. Thank thank God, and went towards you know tackling my my uh, hidden trauma in the body. Everything changed. Like I finally was sane. I was able to be a human again. How often do you hear that experience? People coming to you with that, you know, as a failed participant of the of the Western, you know, matrix way of dealing with mental uh, mental mental health. Um, and the question was, how do I deal with that? Like, how, how how many how many people do you notice or see who come come to you or, or people like you who are you know um, failed participants of the of the experiment gone wrong? Almost all of them, to be honest. I get a lot of people that have been, um, you know, they, they treat self-help like it's their job. And I get a lot of people that uh, have been through the ringer of, of Western medicine and have done years, sometimes even decades of talk therapy. And they just, they're, they, they understand. I feel like there's been this expansion of consciousness over the last few years where people are understanding. I hit a, hit a plateau with talk therapy and I understand mm-hmm whether it's intuitive or however they understand it, they understand that trauma lives in the body. They understand that they need to address it through the body, right? And they understand something's happening with their nervous system, even if they can't verbalize it, right? And I feel like most people are getting that, but then they get to that point. And then I usually get people when they they understand those things. And then they're like, okay, now what? Now what do I do? I understand that. And now what do I do? So to answer your question, I get most people <laughs> that have been through the, the ringer of Western medicine um, end up coming, you know, to somatic therapy when a lot of traditional methods haven't worked. And there's been a lot of physical manifestation of their of their emotional trauma, you know, of um, digestive disorders and, uh, you know, chronic pain and, and things like that. In your experience, how much of our, you know, physical symptoms, whether it be um, stomach issues, uh, back issues, ache, aches. How much of it, or that's a hard question to answer, but how common is it that it's actually just coming from emotional wounding? Um, I would say the majority of the time that it, it's coming. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also, it's like you, if you look at, it's like a domino effect, take, you know, uh, digestive disorder or like chronic pain, chronic physical pain, right? If, and then I used to get this all the time in, in the orthopedic clinic, people would come in with a diagnosis like fibromyalgia, right? Or, and, and with a script that said, treat this person's right shoulder or this left hip. And it's just like, I could just see their entire body was like covered in like muscle tension and, and rigidity and pain. And, and so when I started to, when, when I stopped working in that world and, and went and just started studying the nervous system and the energy body and the emotional body and trauma, it's like all of that all of it is um, the overarching umbrella is the nervous system. And so if we're in a dysregulated state, it's going to have this negative cascade of of events, effects, you could say, across every system of the body. So if we're in fight, fight, or freeze, majority of the time, our brain fog and our cognition is going to be worse. Um, We're not going to be able to digest uh, emotionally and physically. Our muscle tension and our pain is going to be worse. Our sleep is going to be worse. It's like, there's just this domino effect of every system in the body. And so why I went like down the rabbit hole of studying polyvagal theory and, and the nervous system, because I could just see really clearly of just like, this isn't going to actually treat the root of the root of the issue. If I'm just going to like treat this person's right shoulder, it's not really going to like move the needle for them. And it's what got me really interested to start filling in the of what I felt like left out. I think so so much of benefiting off this way of healing is 
learning to catch yourself when you're in a dysregulated state. How do we do that? How does the average person know how to understand themselves to the point where they can see when they're becoming dysregulated? What are certain symptoms we should look for? And, and yeah, so how do we find that? How do we find out if we're dysregulated? Hey there, I'm going to give you a break to digest all of this amazing information. And in this break, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's really about developing felt sense and, and developing your ability to feel physical sensation and somatic sensation. So I'll often guide people into, um, you know, it's a skill set that you build. It's a mindfulness practice, right? Where you have to understand like all of your mental energy, like that where most of us are stuck in this like excessive mental energy, right? You have to turn all of that mental energy, direct your awareness from all of that mental energy into awareness of physical sensation. And so <clears throat> one way one way that I help people drop into the body is if you just close your eyes and soften your eye muscles, like you could see the back of your head, it helps the, it zooms out your inner vision and that quickly activates the vagus nerve. And then if you soften the, the root of the tongue all the way down to the pelvic floor, it immediately drops your awareness um, in and down. And so that's a quick way like to get people to drop their awareness down into their body. But it's literally about doing that over and over and over again, as many times as you can think about it throughout the day, bringing yourself back to the body, hands on your body. What am I feeling right now? What is my body asking for? What do I need right now? What am I really desiring right now? Instead of bulldozing over what your body's asking you. And so it's very much, um, you know, it's challenging for people that have had trauma because a lot of people in trauma are stuck in people pleasing patterns and overgiving patterns where it's like there's so much external focus and so it's very much about like go of the need to please and fix everyone else <laughs> and and start to consistently bring your your awareness and your energy back into inside the realm of your physical body and with a sense of curiosity asking yourself many times a day how am i feeling right now what is it that I need right now? And, and, you know, and this is what I go into in depth with people, but like teaching them the actual, you know, what are the feelings of um, fight or flight, for example, which could be, oh, I feel my heart rate elevating. Oh, I feel a sense of restlessness or I feel anxiety or I feel um, anger, you know? So there's different ways. And um, so I go into in detail with people, teaching people the feeling states of fight or flight, the behavior states of fight or flight, and then the same for a freeze response so that you can start to understand what, what to look for and what it feels like in the body. So it's, it's a skill, you know, to, to be developed. How are you with that at this moment? Uh, you know, cause I think what's, I touch upon it with the judging our emotions part, but I think as someone who, you know, who does this work a lot and is, is a you know personality for, for doing this stuff, I can get um, hard on myself for when I experience fight or flight and when I do the, when I tackle these obstacles. So how are you with that right now? You think you're at a space where you, you kind of conquered a lot of those things or you're still struggling with, with some of that? I do pretty well with it. Honestly, I'm, I'm a fairly nice. self, a self-disciplined person. Um, I, you know, still get triggered, of course, like life is going to be life. Like healing isn't about never yeah. being triggered. 
again. Um, healing is about, you know, developing a flexible and responsive nervous system so that when we go into dysregulation, we can identify it and then effectively, you know, bring ourselves back to a regulated state. Um, I was once told that I was a, I think it was like a, a vessel for other people to experience discipline. <laughs> so I'm, I'm naturally like a pretty self-disciplined person. I, I usually do an hour or two of my, my morning practice every morning. And, um, you know, I'm my whole life because of the work that I do with people is really my whole life lifestyle is around staying regulated uh, because I know if I, you know, come to a session, you know, with someone and I'm in a dysregulated state, even if it's over Zoom, that person energetically in their nervous system is going to pick up on that. And so it's it's really important for, for us as, as anyone holding space, you know, for people of any capacity to, to show up, you know, in a regulated yeah. state. When we do that, that person has the chance, their, their nervous system has the chance to entrain to ours and, and to co-regulate with ours. And in that, there'll be more connection and um, safety perceived. What are some facets of that discipline routine that are necessary for you to stay grounded and regulated? What are like your core components of your life that keep you level-headed? Hmm. For me, it's... Um, the ocean. <laughs> it's anything involving the ocean. Um, a bit of a mermaid and my inner child. I grew up around the, in the Gulf of Mexico and I, I grew up around the ocean. And that's just what genuinely like brings me joy and like lights my heart up <laughs> is swimming and um, mermaiding around and walking the beach and really anything like on the water. So finding that thing, you know, for people that genuinely brings you joy is important. Uh, the other thing for me is uh, spaciousness that I know for me, if I don't have spaciousness in my schedule, I start to contract and I start to feel stressed. And so spaciousness in my schedule is very important to me. Um, even if I don't have time what, to do what movement. That, what does that mean? What does that mean? Spaciousness? Spaciousness, like between calls, um, spaciousness okay. for my practice, like, right. Like just the, the amount of time allotted, you know, before your day starts throughout your day, after your day to be able to go into your self-care, be able to go into nature, be able to get your exercise in, like really creating your lifestyle, you know, and your schedule around those pockets of time being available for yourself or else they're just going to get filled in with other things. And then we just stack, 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 you know, our to-do list. And then we become overwhelmed. And so for me, that's massive. Um, movement and exercise is massive. And I always make sure to do 20 minutes of meditation in the morning. You know, I, I agree with you. I, I've been that person who just stacks their schedule up to fill every nook and cranny, um, but then I can't show up as effectively. So I've realized that the more I create space, um, to you know, get myself in a state where I can show up my best self, my, I actually end up getting more things done in a better way versus just stacking it up. If I take like you know a two hour break in the middle of the day to to nap and work out and eat something healthy versus just like going immediately to something else, I notice myself being much more effective. But what's what's sad is that in our society that's become impossible. There, there it literally is you know a, a well functioning capitalist system depends on a lack of spaciousness, literally. Like you know it's just so it's it's it, it's it's brutal. What do you think the effect of that is? Just having people, you know, most of society just always busy. Overwhelm and overstimulation, you know, and, and dysregulation and the nervous system. And then if you look at that, then it's that negative cascade of events to every system of the body. So tell me about, you know, I think that in my experience, hurt people either hurt people or they heal people. I think a lot of healers were once hurt and they become healers. Were you one of those cases? What was your story like in, in you deciding to do what you do? 
A hundred percent. Like I say it all, I say it a lot. Um, we teach what we need, you know, we absolutely teach what we need. And, um, I would say, you know, my, my particular, my particular childhood trauma, um, you know, there was some, a lot of like betrayal and I grew up around a lot of divorce and, you know, played this, uh, abandonment wound out like in my, adult relationships and specifically my last divorce. And it's like, it, for me, it's like, it, it had to happen the way that it happened. Um, you know, it's like, for me, it had to, it had to be dramatic and it had for me to snap out of this like illusion that I was in. And so, you know, for me, it, it, it really, the darkest night of my soul, I would say it was around 2020 going through a divorce where I really like had to go into healing that, that core wound of abandonment, that, I wouldn't really wish upon my worst enemy. It's very, it's incredibly intense on the body. You know, it can feel like starvation. It can feel like death in the body because if we were abandoned as a little kid, we would die, right? If we didn't have anyone to nurture and protect us. And so if we experience that as an adult, biologically, it can feel like starvation and death. So it's incredibly intense and I'm a very well-resourced person and I have a lot of, you know, education and support around me and it was incredibly intense, you know? And so I, when I kind of got out of the trenches of getting through that experience, I just really realized like, wow, I, you know, my particular childhood trauma, my adult, you know, experiences in relationship just didn't happen for no reason. Like I was just, I just had to learn how to navigate an incredible amount of um, emotional intensity. And I had to learn how to, this is where all my work stems from over the past um, recent years is how to unfreeze the nervous system. Cause I was completely stuck in a freeze response um, for like days at a time. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, my, the way it played out for me is how it plays out for a lot of people, whatever happened with the caregiver, we play that out with our partner. And so it was, it was the same yeah. way for me and, you know, dealing with covert narcissism and dealing with avoidance and dealing with spiritual bypassing and trauma bond and deep codependent patterns. And it's like, you go through this process of like really having to unfuse, um, from the wounded inner child. And I could feel in my own grief and in my own anger, when I was going through the process, how young I felt in the, in my emotions. And that's when the reparenting work got very, very real, <laughs> it got very real for me. Yeah, I, I can write the, relate the, hardest thing for me to heal has been my abandonment issues um almost anything is cake compared to it in my experience like i, I would literally I, i'm i would rather fight a humongous man physically than you know face some of my abandonment uh, triggers i do face them but like that, that's much harder for me than actually getting into a physical <laughs> physical fight you know i'm a big person it just that's my hardest experience why why do you think it's such a brutal wound to deal with like most people i've met who have se- severe abandonment issues myself included it goes deep. It's, it's it's severely brutal to deal deal with, and it almost causes the most damage unhealed, right? Because you end up becoming attracted to people who trigger you in that way. So why is it run so deep in so many of us? Yeah, it was something I was looking into myself whenever I was going into it. I started like going down this rabbit hole of studying the nervous system and how to unfreeze myself and trauma experts all over the place and reading all the books and all the things. And what I came to, what really helped me to understand, which was like, if we were to, when we're, when we're abandoned as a kid, um, we would die. You know, we would, we, if we were just abandoned as a baby, we would die. And so when that plays out as an adult, it's like, it can just feel like death and starvation. So we were very literally, literally. like, yeah. feels like very literally. And I, I mean, I can't remember 
was like all I could do to eat one meal a day. It was all I could do to just like get a night's sleep. You know, it was just like so intense. And, um, and so in it, it was just, it was incredibly important, especially because I was in the the freeze response. Um, it was incredibly important for people to be around me, to support me, to help me stay in my body, to help me co-regulate. Right. And, and I had to do that a little bit at a time because there was a lot of, there was, there was betrayal. There was like a lot of things that made me not trust people that made me not feel safe, even in like community. Um, and so, you know, for a while I did have to just sort of isolate myself and, um, that had its own purpose for a minute, you know, for a while. And, um, until I could feel safe enough within myself to, you know, start to give myself new imprints of safe connection, which is really what the nervous system needs. Um, you know, especially with abandonments, it's hard for us to trust, you know, people when we've had the core wound of abandonment. And so what, what we can do all the emotional processing in the world around it, but what's also needed is new imprints of safe connection, right? for the nervous system. We, we need new imprints of safe connection because, you know, any trauma made in connection, it needs to be healed in connection. And it's often the, the scariest thing for us. It's often like the thing we have the most resistance to is like wanting to ask for support or um, surround ourselves with new people. But what's true is like, we, we have to give ourselves this experience that we can be vulnerable and we can authentically express with people and we can be received and seen and heard and witnessed, you know, a lot of times for those of us, especially with the abandonment wound, it's like, I can remember being in somatic processes with my like eight-year-old little girl and the facilitator saying like, what is it that you need? And like out of my mouth, like as fast as I, before me even thinking about it came um, acknowledgement, like I need acknowledgement. And it kind of surprised me. And uh, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, this this little girl that was holding all of this pain and, and had this particular story that she's lived through, she actually like needed to be acknowledged through it. You know, she didn't want to hold it by herself anymore. And uh, and that was incredibly healing for me. And it continues to be incredibly healing for me when I'm in safe community spaces where I'm able to share like what actually happened in, you know, with my particular childhood trauma, what actually happened, you know, through my divorce and, and being witnessed and being seen and heard and um, held in that is, is incredibly healing. You just never underestimate, you know, the, the power of being held in deep presence and in safety by those you find, you know, safe and, and trustworthy. Yeah. So what you're saying to summarize it is that if you're struggling with an abandonment wound and it's become very triggering, it's important for you to seek a, a secure connection outside of the situation that triggered it, but it doesn't have to be romantic. It could be a friend or, or a parent. So is that what you're saying? Yeah. Any, anyone your nervous system perceives as safe or, or that you can trust really is who you'd want to. And, and I wouldn't say, yeah, if you're, if you're going through an abandonment wound from a, a partnership or a transition, I would say like, don't let it be romantic. <laughs> like just because like you, you're, you're not trying to go into a romantic thing whenever you're healing the core wound of abandonment, right? It's like, you're trying to heal at the deepest level possible. So finding, you know, especially if it's like a masculine wound, you know, um, finding a male, a male friend that you find safe and trustworthy so that you can share with and that they can be there for you and that you can really share how hard it is to open up, you know, to a man. Cause you just feel like they're just going to leave like that. Or you just feel like you're going to be manipulated or you feel like you're going to be betrayed or 
the number one thing is is to know how to regulate the system, to know how to regulate the nervous system. So it's going back to like developing felt sense and developing somatic awareness in the body. That's one is so that overarching umbrella of knowing that a regulated nervous system is going to give your mind a chance, you know, to think positively and, and think of creative solutions and be able to orient yourself to positive outcome. That's, that's really important. Um, so nervous system, I would say, is, is one. Yeah. And then underneath that is being able to, you know, doing the work, um, doing the work of accessing the inner child that feels abandoned, accessing the inner child that feels neglected or rejected or whatever it is, disempowered, you know, or powerless, whatever the inner child feels and ask, um, accessing that part of the inner child. And really, and this is what I do in the somatic reparenting method, which is like teaching people how to just in a very strategic way, understand what is that younger part of yourself? What do they feel? Um, what is it that they need? Um, learning how to meet the need, you know, whatever unmet need is is that is needed. <laughs> and so over time, and I would never tell anyone this is quick or easy work, you know, because what, what's really true, especially with reparenting work um, and rewiring the nervous system, consistency is huge, uh, especially with inner child work, because that little boy or that little girl inside of you needs to see that your actions are going to match your words. They need to see that you're going to be reliable over time. They need to see that you're going to uh, commit to checking in with them, whatever they ask of you. You know, they're, they're going to, they're, they want to see that you're congruent. And once you're consistent over time, then you can, you're, you will actually develop a, a sense of trust between the inner child and you. But what happens is that you know, we, we play out as we, as we grow and as we come into an adult, we play out these self-abandoning patterns, right? And which can look like not having boundaries or people pleasing or being a fixer. And um, we play out these self-abandoning patterns. And, and oftentimes when people begin inner child work, sometimes there's just repair that needs to happen because the, we've been ignoring, betraying or abandoning, you know, our own inner child for so long um, that there needs to be repair that happens. And I can say this on, from a personal note, when I started inner child work, my little girl was like this writhing, just, she was angry, just this furious little thing that was actually like quite difficult to be with. Like I would try to just sit with her and I was like, Ooh, like she's pissed, you know, she's like really difficult to be with. And once I, uh, you know, got really, I really started taking the reparenting work very seriously. And it was really through my divorce. It was many times a day checking in with her, meeting her need, reassuring her, validating her, updating her on what was happening. I did it really consistently for about five or six months, I would say. And then all of a sudden, one day in meditation, it's like I could, was visualizing her just kind of sitting in my my lap, very content and peaceful. And I had this for the first time I can say in my life, I had this felt sense of trust in my body because my inner child actually trusted me to keep showing up. How do we literally explain the inner child? What is it? You know, it's a, I think it's a question that many people have a hard time answering. I think I have some of an answer, but I'm curious what your take is. Like what what literally is it? Yeah, um, it's it's a good question because some people think it's like this woo-woo concept and that like you're just making it up. And it's like, oh, it's actually this very real parts of your psyche. Um, it can They can be called um, 
you know, uh, sub personalities, you know, different, like your teenage self might be a very angry, sarcastic little thing, you know, your, your eight year old might feel the most abandonment, um, you know, and these different parts of the inner child might have different responses of the nervous system that we have to become familiar with, right? Like often our teenager is angry and wants to fight, right? Oftentimes our younger parts of the self are maybe more feel fearful or they, they're scared someone's going to leave them or they, they go into more of a fearful, you know, freeze response. But it's literally these these parts of our younger self where the the, the I would say the, the wounded parts of our younger self where the nervous system got something happened, right? That was overwhelming to the system where the nervous system got disrupted, where this part of yourself got emotionally frozen in time. Something wasn't played out the way that it should have been through the body and through the nervous system. And so it gets stuck. And so what's it's like you can't separate um the inner child and the subconscious mind and the nervous system because they're just all very interconnected and related. And you know, some people will call it parts work or some people will call it like soul retrieval. You know, you can call it whatever you want, but it's just like there's these different parts of our younger self that are in here. <laughs> they're in here. They're absolutely in here. Like I often feel like I'm a guide kind of holding people's hands, helping them sort of traverse timelines to go back to these certain ages to develop this connection and this conversation, you know, with the inner child so that we can, um, it's the part of ourself that needs updating. You know, it's the part of ourself that developed these, you know, have particular experiences and rightfully so developed these negative, negative beliefs and these parts of us that need us as our current healthy adult to validate them and, and reassure them in a way that our caregivers never did. So it's like a lot about becoming the secure parent that you never had. So you're under you're under the belief that, and I agree with. I'm curious that that by you going to a past memory of you, your inner child being hurt and abandoned, and you kind of going in that moment to help them and heal them, you're kind of cor- correcting your timeline in a way that you're 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 healing the the story in a way. How, how does that happen? How can we how can we go back to memory memory? Uh, it's kind of like you know some inception time travel stuff. How, how does that work? How come because I've, I've experienced it in my own healing journey where I've gone to a past memory where I've been abused. And, and stood up for myself and held myself and it's okay in various points when it comes to the trigger and it just stops happening. And then my, there's like more trust. How, how does that actually work? Why, how does it happen? Yeah. Like, so these memories are held in the body, these implicit memories they're called that are held in the body and that are like below our level of conscious awareness. And so we have to go into the body, right. To recall whatever it is. And and oftentimes it's not necessarily that we have to replay out this memory. Sometimes that, that, that is what plays out in a process. Um, not always though. And it's not always necessary because what's, what's really necessary is actually just retrieving the part of the younger self and having that dialogue between your adult self in that part of your younger self. And I've seen this happen so many times where, you know, and I'll often tell people, go back to the earliest one, you know, the earliest age that you can recall feeling this way, emotionally feeling this in your body, the earliest time. And then it's so interesting because it's, I mean, you can only, it's just hard to, to conceptualize with the, with the mind, right? Because it's, you're, we're talking about quantum physics <laughs> where there's, um, everything's happening all at once, right? Which is just so hard for our mind to conceive of. Um, But what I see over and over again happen and um, clients will see this visually. I've seen it visually where if we can, you know, uh, 
do it at the youngest age and heal it at the youngest age. It's like it has this domino effect all the way up to our present self, to our present moment in time. And so it's often, it is a bit like what you're saying, inter, was it interstellar inception? Yeah, <laughs> we're going yeah, back. One of those, um, one of those, yeah. It is like timeline, timeline hopping. I, I really truly feel like I'm just helping people traverse timelines in a way. And uh, yeah, from a quantum perspective, it's like, all types of different possibilities and realities are happening at the same time. So we can go back like the, our, our imagination is so powerful because the brain doesn't know whether something's real or imagined. And so when we go back and use our imagination and access this part and, and however you receive in, intuitive information, um, is how you receive it. So some people will really feel their inner child. They'll like feel the emotions of the inner child. Some people will really like see their inner child. Some people will hear them like with the, um, in the communication and in the connection. And so that really just depends on how, how a certain person receives intuitive information. How can we start deciphering when the inner child is screaming for help? Like when, how do you recognize that? Right. I think, a lot of us are, for me, most of my thoughts are in the same voice, right? So it's, it's taken a lot of awareness to recognize when that part of me needs help. So how, how have you taught people or you, people who you help or anyone listening to start recognizing when that version of themselves is asking for attention and help? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. And it's, it's like, whenever you notice that you feel young in your emotions and your anger or your grief. Um, and the other is whenever you notice your, uh, your reactions are dramatic. <laughs> it's like they, they're dramatic or not proportional to the thing that's happening. Right. Like you've had that experience, right? You're just like, Whoa, <laughs> like my reaction is so, feels so dramatic. Like to this thing, it feels so small. So when it feels very dramatic, like that's often the inner child. And then whatever your, um, primary emotional reaction is to things can often give you a lot of information. I had someone over 10 years ago ask me this, what's your primary emotional reaction to things? And I had to think about it. And the first thing that came to me, I was like, oh, it's whatever emotion is like, ugh. Because <laughs> I had this thing on the inside where I'd always be like, ugh. And not out loud, but I would just internally do it a lot. And when I broke it down, it's like, oh, it was, I thought it was annoyance. So I was like, no, it's frustration. I'm like, ugh, I just, I get frustrated. And they're like, you know, frustration's anger, right? And I was like, oh God. And then I have a lot of it. You know, I have a lot of anger to, to deal with. And so whatever your primary emotional reaction to things can often give you a lot of information. What is that, what is that primal um, explanation or expression? What does that, that primal expression mean? Like if my go-to feeling is to, you know, I don't know, mine's probably like to be anxious most of the time. It's like, it's like, a, it's like, the scare response. I grew up with severe asthma and eczema. So almost every night I was borderline, you know, stop breathing and covered in blood. So my prime reaction is just like, is to get freaked out. So what does that prime reaction tell us about ourselves? If it's anxiety or depression or fear, what does that tell us about ourselves when we have to heal? Um, a couple of things. One is that it will point you to what, um, what default your nervous system is, is commonly going mm -hmm. into. So anxiety yeah. would be more fight or flight. Right. Um, and then uh, what was the other fear like, or um, like giving up or giving in or like that, like uh, low energy feeling that's going to be more of like a freeze response. And so it will point you towards what's the default. Your nervous system's very familiar to going in with. And then it can also point you to 
you know, if it's your primary emotional reaction to things, it's like, it's probably the, the reaction that your inner child had most of the time, you know, through your childhood. And so being able to access, you know, the, and have a conversation with of that inner child of like, how are you feeling? Like, what is it that you need? And begin to consistently meet the need, you know, of the inner child, because oftentimes the inner child just is going to get louder and louder. <laughs> That's true. It's like mm-hmm. the wounded inner child is going to get louder and louder until we really pay attention. Um, you know, I can say mine was absolutely just like screaming at me, like from the inside. And I just didn't realize that that's what it was, you know? Um, and then having, you know, real, very real, um, embodied conversations with these parts of yourself, you know? Um, and so it's, it points to both. It points to the inner child, you know, the primary emotional reaction to things. And then it also points to this, uh, the default that your nervous system's used to. Well, I just wanted to thank you so much for sharing everything you did. I think it, well, I'm fascinated by some, what you know, and your expertise in, in somatic healing is that I think one of the biggest woundings or problems of our society is that the modern day shamans, and healers are now um, doctors and therapists, and I think they're failing. So I think this is the this is the form of therapy and, and healing. I think is the most uh, useful and impactful for everyone to start doing. So I just want to thank you for dedicating yourself to this and sharing the information you know, and just being an inspiration for all of us to to do this work. I think I think the most important work is to learn how to be in your body because that's the that's the human experience, right? Mm, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. And, and speaking to all of this shamanic work and energy work, it's like we are at the biggest level. We're 99.999% energy, right? And so it's really about learning how to direct our energy inside the body and, and become a master of our energy. But thank you so much for the opportunity to to share. I always love sharing this information because it's been such a game changer in my life. I, I continue to see it um, have such a ripple in the lives of my clients. So thank you. You know, same year, it's changed my life. Where, where can people uh, find you or learn more about you or access some of your teachings if they want to learn more? Yeah, um, my uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's uh, Dr. Underscore Summer, S-O-M-E-R under, underscore Nicole. Um, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, you can always DM me um, on Facebook or Instagram. You can audio message me. I'm always happy to answer questions or hop on a connection call with people. Great. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Cool. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast as well as rate and review. Thank you for listening.